you ever zone out while listening to your local news station because you just don't understand what they're saying? News is often delivered in an unapproachable way for younger audiences, but that doesn't make it any less important. It is vital that youth are able to stay active in politics and global issues. This is Paige Olson and Catalina Mudo bringing you the latest world happenings in terms you can understand with the Backyard Bulletin podcast. From climate change to candidacy, we're here bi-weekly to current your events. You can email us at backyardbulletin at gmail.com with any updates you'd like us to talk about. And without any further ado, let's get swinging. We want to make sure to acknowledge and prioritize our listeners' mental health and well-being. This episode contains potentially triggering topics, including sexual assault and gun violence, so feel free to hop off this week if that worries you in any way. You can find resources for these at 800-656-HOPE and 1-800-985-5990, respectively. See you soon! If you choose to stick around, there will be timestamps so that you can skip through the triggering sections. Welcome, welcome! We are so glad you are joining us today for our first ever episode of Backyard Bulletin. Today, we will be covering topics from genocide to the sexual harassment claims on Governor Andrew Cuomo. You may have seen the recent rise in infographics about fighting the anti-Asian narrative following a year of increased racially charged violence, especially with the recent Atlanta shooting. In the words of President Biden, hate crimes against Asian Americans have skyrocketed during the pandemic. You may have been hearing the number 3,795 a lot. Paige, what is that number referring to? Yeah, that number was put out by Stop AAPI Hate, AAPI meaning Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders. That is the recorded number of reported hate crimes against Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders. I'd also like to make sure to acknowledge that in reality, this is unfortunately just a fraction of these hate crimes that are and have been taking place. I want to take a second to reiterate the trigger warning at the beginning of the episode. You can skip to if you do not wish to hear the next section. We will be recounting the recent Atlanta spa shootings that occurred March 16, 2021. On March 16th, a series of mass shootings occurred at three day spas in Atlanta, Georgia. Tragically, eight people were killed, six being women of Asian descent. What I will say is that March for Our Lives, a leading youth-led organization fighting for gun violence prevention, states that these unarguably terrible incidents' effects are heightened by access to firearms. The evidence of motive, they say, along with many, is rooted in historical white supremacy. They mention patterns broader than just this incident of racism being downplayed. Suspect Robert Aaron Long was arrested after his parents responded to surveillance footage released by the police as well as noting a tracking device on his car during their interview. We started the segment off with discussion on AAPI hate crimes, but does this event directly fall into that category? Well, currently, Long has claimed that his actions were not racially motivated, rather being driven by a sex addition at odds with his religious beliefs, causing him to direct his attack towards quote-unquote the source of his temptation. Yes, his roommate does in fact corroborate that he was treated for sex addiction. However, there is still something to be said about the current and long-standing history of the fetishization of Asian women in our country and in the media. I completely agree. Asian women have frequently been categorized as hypersexual and stereotyped as sex workers throughout history. One instance being the Page Act of 1875, which was intended to prevent prostitution and forced labor, but was instead used to prevent Chinese women from immigrating to the U.S. under the pretense that they were all sex workers. 
Unfortunately, due to this prejudice that many people held and still hold, Asian women are viewed as cheap and disposable workers and may end up being forced to turn to sex work simply due to lack of other employment options. So, to answer the original question, from a surface-level perspective, the shootings in Atlanta could be brushed aside as a result of a sex addiction, but it's important to acknowledge the history and conscious and unconscious biases that caused Long to direct this attack towards Asian women specifically. One thing I haven't seen much coverage on is the legislation involved in this, specifically the COVID-19 Hate Crimes Act. This is being pushed forward by Representative Meng and Senator Hirono. Yeah, not to cut you off, but I really quickly want to acknowledge these two truly inspiring and powerful women. Senator Maisie Hirono has truly been setting the standard for women of Asian descent in politics and leadership in general. She's the first elected female senator from Hawaii, as well as the first Asian American woman elected to Senate. Congresswoman Grace Meng is the first and only Asian American member of Congress from New York State. She has continuously been fighting for communities of color and support of local businesses. Sorry, anyways, tell us about the actual act. No problem. Love to see support for women in power. This act will dedicate an official at the Department of Justice, which is the branch of the government that involves enforcement of the law, to efficiently review reported hate crimes as well as providing community resources such as recommendations on how to lessen racist language, particularly in describing the pandemic, as well as expanding culturally competent and linguistically appropriate public education campaigns. This means making systems more accessible for people with limited proficiency in English. This act will build on the memorandum President Biden signed in January denouncing the discrimination against the AAPI community. In case you missed it, that memorandum was very alike to the act we're discussing. It called upon the Department of Justice in many similar ways regarding data collection and preventative measures. Much of the memo is a sort of retroactive restoration, working to build trust moving forward from previously xenophobic, defined as prejudice against other countries, national leadership, and policy. This said, though, there has been criticism towards the DOJ because despite an average 250,000 hate crimes surveyed per year, they only prosecute about 25 on average. On a wider base than just this tragic shooting, this is generally just an undeniable issue that must be addressed now. There was a report earlier this month that showed overall hate crimes going down while those specifically targeting Asian Americans in major cities rose by nearly 150%. Yes, and to connect that, it does coincide with the occurrence of the pandemic. In summary, the tragic shooting took the lives of eight people and, regardless of motive, brought to light many questions about our internalized anti-AAPI narrative, as well as a lack of necessary legislation and preventative methods. I want to again reiterate the trigger warning at the beginning of the episode. You can skip to 10.45 if you do not wish to hear the next section. We will be covering the subject of sexual assault specifically around accusations made against current New York Governor Andrew Cuomo. We've seen Twitter become more and more of a place for politics in recent years and additionally just a powerful tool to spread a message. Yes, we really saw this with the hashtag MeToo movement. In December of 2020, Lindsay Boylan, Governor Andrew Cuomo's former aide, tweeted that Cuomo had sexually harassed her for years. Andrew Cuomo is the 56th governor of New York State, elected in 2011. Lindsay worked for Cuomo from 2015 to 2018 as executive VP of Empire State Development and then as a special advisor to Cuomo for economic development. She detailed this harassment as inappropriate comments about her looks, often coupled with grilling her work that was in fact very good. Following that, she tweeted to clarify that she did this to validate the experience of countless women and to end that cycle of abuse. She had also tweeted earlier in the month about the toxic work environment under the Cuomo administration. 
Charlotte Bennett also came forward about inappropriate comments Cuomo allegedly made towards her. From asking about trauma in relation to her sex life to implying that he would be comfortable dating someone in her age group. There's definitely a power dynamic, Bennett detailed. There are many more allegations being brought to public attention as well. This is not the only thing the Cuomo administration is under fire for. Yes, let's touch on the nursing home data scandal. In recent weeks, it has come out that the death toll for nursing home residents in relation to COVID-19 is nearly 15,000 in contrast with the previously reported 8,500. How did that even happen? This number excludes individuals who were taken to a hospital and then passed away. The Cuomo administration stated that they feared this would result in the double counting of their deaths in statistics. Criticism for this was especially heightened when one of his top aides admitted they were afraid the data would be used against them. This controversy is now under federal investigation. In response to these, on March 12th, New York State Assembly Speaker Carl Heastie announced that he had authorized the Assembly Judiciary Committee to open up an impeachment probe into Governor Cuomo. What does that mean? Okay, here's a rundown of the legislative process. An impeachment resolution begins in the lower house of the state legislature. This would be the 150-member state assembly. The New York State Constitution states that a simple majority, that is 76 votes, is needed to pass. If that works, the case moves to the 63-member state senate, where a court for the trial of impeachments is convened. When the governor is impeached, the lieutenant governor temporarily becomes the acting governor for the duration of the trial and is excused from the trial along with the president pro tempore of the Senate that serves as the presiding officer in the absence of the VP. This is because they are both in line of succession for the governor's office. In this case, the lieutenant governor is Kathy Hochul and the president pro tempore is Andrea Stewart-Cousins. A two-thirds majority is then needed to convict and remove the governor from office. Fun fact, only 16 governors nationwide have been impeached with eight being convicted and removed from office. You might have heard about an attorney general's investigation. The New York attorney general is Latita James. She serves as the people's lawyer protecting legal rights of New York citizens. She formed a team to investigate the sexual harassment claims, and that team will have the power to subpoena documents and interview witnesses. Findings will go in a public report. While this investigation does not have the power to impeach Cuomo on its own, any findings could sway the impeachment trial. This project doesn't have a timeline and could last quite a while. If impeachment does occur, Cuomo will step aside immediately, contrary to how it works with presidential impeachment, as state law states that the lieutenant governor is to take over as acting governor. Resignation is unlikely, as Cuomo has adamantly opposed this, and polls are in his favor as of right now in terms of public support. After the whirlwind that was the Trump administration's relationship with China, President Biden and President Xi Jinping's administration had their first encounter this month. You're probably saying to yourself right now, so what's the big deal? World leaders meet up all the time, which is true. However, given the history here, this interaction was to set the stage for the next four years. So how'd it go? Yes, let's get into it. As some people may have expected, it essentially went nowhere. Both administrations showed a lack of willingness to cooperate with one another and held very firm to their stances on various topics, even despite the Biden administration making a point to call out the awful mass genocide of Uyghur Muslims happening in Xinjiang. So in short, this likely points to four years of contention and a continuation of the complicated and ever-changing relationship between the two countries. There are an estimated 11 million immigrants living illegally in the United States. Biden came into office with plenty of promises about immigration following Trump's racist and intolerant policy. 
and within weeks of his presidency, he had already reversed some of these, such policies being deporting children who arrived alone and forcing people seeking asylum to stay in Mexico while they made their case. This said, there is a case to be made that they weren't actually ready for these changes, as with a recent surge in migration, to quote Biden, the vast majority of people crossing the border are being sent back. Experts say this surge was predictable. From hurricanes that hit Central America, economic fallout from the pandemic, those already stuck at the border for months, and the gang violence afflicting Northern Triangle countries. Bills are being passed to make the path to citizenship doable for dreamers. When we say dreamers, we are referring to those brought to the United States as undocumented youth. This name came from the DREAM Act. Two proposals recently passed in the House. One, the American Dream and Promise Act, which would allow those who came into the U.S. as minors permanent residency and eventually citizenship. Two, the Farm Workforce Modernization Act grants legal status to the hundreds of thousands of undocumented farm workers. These were reintroduced after passing the House in 2019. Yes, at the time they had some limited Republican support, which does hold through to the results in these recent updates. I'm looking forward to watching the future of these acts to see if they are signed into law. We've reached our final trigger warning. You can skip to 1510 if you do not wish to hear the next section. We will be touching on sexual assault and general violence. As we're based in the United States, we've covered a lot of national issues here, but of course there are also many important events going on in the rest of the world, so we're going to jump into one of those now. Take it away, Paige. Alright, as of November 2020, Ethiopia has been at war with itself. More specifically, the region of Tigray and the federal government have been locked in a fight. Like in many other countries across the globe, COVID-19 had an effect on the election season in Ethiopia. However, the effects there have been more long-lasting and drastic than in other places. Here's a brief summary. Prime Minister Abiy Ahmed had originally rescheduled their May elections twice before announcing that they would take place at some point in the 2021 year. The Tigray region strongly opposed this decision and held their regional elections in September despite the federal government's ruling, who then pronounced their election illegal. This led to a series of attacks from the Tigray government led by the TPFL, Tigray People's Liberation Front, attempting to uphold democracy, which provoked various counterattacks from the Ethiopian federal government and an attempted final attack after taking control of the Tigray capital, Macau. The Tigray government, however, refused to give in despite the overpowering military force of the federal government. The war, which started in November, is still going on currently and has become more of a genocide toward the Tigray population with the Ethiopian government ruthlessly overpowering them, not only with weapons but with gang rape and other graphic sexual violence that we won't be detailing. This has gone far beyond a war between governments and has become a violation of human rights as well as a humanitarian crisis. A huge one at that. Around 2.3 million children have been left without aid including medicine, food, water, and other fundamental needs to survive, let alone during a pandemic. The UN has attempted to step in, as have many individual countries, to urge the Ethiopian government to make the right decision. However, as of late, still no peace negotiation has been agreed upon, but we are hoping that they will come to one soon. Hello, hello, hello! You made it to the end of today's episode. Today we touched on the Atlanta shootings, sexual harassment allegations against Andrew Cuomo, the China-US talks, and the Tigray War. Thank you so much for tuning in. Remember to follow and share our social media, currently limited to at Backyard Bulletin on Instagram. Email us with any suggestions or comments at backyardbulletin at gmail.com. See you soon!